Good morning on this Lord's Day. A beautiful day, isn't it? And uh, we uh, continue our worship. And the worship is built around the very Word of God. We actually get to turn to pages. And actually, off these pages, we read something that comes right from God. Isn't that an amazing thing that we can do that? That uh, God has done that. That we can. Uh, anyway, since we've done 1 John and then followed that up with 2 John, you would never guess what we're going to today. <laughs> yeah, Revelation. Book of Jude. Uh, this book is actually the shortest book in the New Testament. Um, now, I said that last week on 2 John, but a lot of it depends upon how you're reading it, whether it's in the Greek or the English <laughs> uh, or verses. Uh, in Second John, there were 13 verses, so therefore that would be shorter than 14 verses. That's in Third John. But just by a line or something like that, I believe, in the original Greek, that this is actually shorter. Whatever that's worth, uh, it definitely is power-packed, though, just like anything that God gives us. Anything that He reveals is. just happens to be a little shorter. Uh, we get to look in on the early church like kind of like a fly on the wall and see what was happening back at that time. Uh, as we look at um, this particular letter. And it is very true. It resembles 1 John and 2 John in uh, quite a few ways. In uh, terminology, you will see truth, you will see love. Uh, Those kind of things uh, definitely are important terms. Um, There are differences, though, uh, between this 3 John and 2 John. 2 John was written to the elect lady. This is written to Gaius. A very personal letter. And to the elect lady, the message was be careful about people who want to come into your home, uh, such as false teachers, and take advantage. And so we are to be hospitable, but you want to use truth with love. And that two, uh, those two words balance out. In this one, we kind of get a, kind of a flip-flop in Third John where... He's not telling him to refuse admittance, but to continue to be hospitable. He commends Gaius on his hospitality that he had. So really, these two letters show both sides of love. And um, John is all about the firmness of love. We want to have boundaries with love. And of course, truth does that, but we just don't want to be truth oriented and not have love. You can't have that in a church either. So what Third John is going to do is um, kind of bring forth the tenderness uh, of love in giving hospitality to uh, actual, real, genuine, traveling teachers of the Word of God. So let's catch the scene here. Let's get a backdrop for uh, Third John. John is writing to a letter, uh, a letter to a man, and uh, it's, a, it's a house church again has the same struggle that we found in 1 John and 2 John. There were false teachers, and we know all about that as we spent so much time in 1 John. Gaius was a man that accepted missionaries into his home. He just welcomed them in. He received them in. And uh, there was also a man at the same time in the church by the name of Diotrephes, who we'll find in in this letter uh, later on, who opposes any kind of missionaries or true teachers of the Word coming in. And uh, so Gaius was very hospitable to them, while at the same time there's a man there that uh, takes up leadership and doesn't uh, want that to happen. 
Uh, he's a very cordial man, Gaius is. Um, he's a man that we can definitely see who is a true believer. Uh, he has love and truth. He's very valuable to the body there, to this church that he's at. And um, he's a friend to the workers of the gospel who come to the church there to, to help teach and strengthen the people, to edify. And so he receives them, brings them right on into the home. We're not even told whether he is really a, an elder in the church. Um, does he take up leadership? Is he a teacher? Um, nothing is said like that. Uh, he's, he's, he's a man that um, wants the gospel to be taught there, and he is very welcoming. So, as we've had early problems in the church, as we've seen in our First John and our Second John, also here Third John, um, before this, you'll remember that we were in Corinthians and we saw a lot of problems there in the early church, didn't we? You know, a lot of times people think of the early church and you think everything was just fine and dandy, how great that must have been in the early church days. And I often think that myself. But... Um, the thing is, they encountered some of the same kind of problems that we encounter. There are brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're going to go through things that are very similar, and we are separated from them by 2,000 years. But really, that's the only thing that separates us. It's just time, because we're all in the body of Christ, and we all have Christ as the, the head of this church. They had a lot of problems, and uh, in this case here, in Second John, we can see that there, and in Third John, there's, there's a... a too many opportunities to compromise the truth. And what we mean by that is that there could be false teaching coming in and people may not recognize it and uh, they, you know, the truth has to be maintained. So we have to be careful. And um, also in this church there is a one who wants to be preeminent. He wants to be uh, arrogant. Uh, he's very narrow. And so... Uh, this Gaius is going to have to go against this man. And so you can see there had to be a lot of struggles involved with that. So you have two extremes. Two extremes that John needed to address uh, in these two epistles, the second John and third John. Be careful, but at the same time, wholeheartedly receive the ones who are true. So John wants a balance between truth and love. And that's why whenever you see one of those words, you usually see... Uh, the other word right along with it in the same verse or the next verse. He always wants to keep that balance. That's a, that's a key terminology that he has. So let's get right into it. Um, if you don't mind, let's uh, stand. I'm sure you don't mind. And let's read eight verses. That's what we're doing today. We're going to see an example of hospitality. This is a great example. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified to the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for His name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Father, we thank You for the Word and uh, we just look for Your Holy Spirit to guide us into Your truth. 
that we may learn better how uh, we are to respond in our Christian lives and uh, who you are and what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can be seated. And uh, as we move right on into verse 1, we're really not going to do an introduction as we would normally do. We kind of covered that in First John. and Second John, we did it a little bit. Um, and, and I just kind of covered it in these first few minutes anyway. So we'll just go right into verse 1. Um, he starts off with the elder. This is from the elder. Isn't it great that people can know where a letter is coming from right off the bat rather than look at the very end? Even on Christmas cards, we'll, we'll put at the end you know, who it's from and everything. You know, people are looking. The first thing they're going to do if they can't see it on the envelope is, is who's this from? Well, they're very kind back then. Those letters, boom, here it is. Who's from? The elder. And, and this is the same one who wrote Second John. And you'll never believe it. This is the same one who wrote First John. Calls himself the elder here, like we saw last week. And I'm uh, not going to go into depth on that, but he's quite aged. We know that. He's the last apostle who is living. Also, he's a pastor, has a pastor's heart. He's an elder in that sense. So he is one who cares for the churches, whether it be one church, another church, a whole bunch of churches. He is an elder to them. That's the way they look at him. Now, we get it to his two. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. This epistle is very personal. I think it's really interesting to get in on this great Apostle John who followed the Lord for three and a half years and we get to see a little bit more about John as he writes a letter that he sends to somebody and it's personal. Now how often do you get into other people's personal mail? Uh, if have you ever been tempted if you've seen somebody email up on the on the computer screen you go, hmm, you know, and just kind of look at it. Oh, better not. <laughs> it's kind of personal. But we get to uh, all look at this. And we don't really know who this Gaius is. Uh, Gaius is mentioned a few times in the New Testament. At least that name is. Um, there are a few men who are named that. In, in Acts 19, there was a man by the name of Gaius from Macedonia, and he was seized in a mob in Ephesus. And his name was Gaius. Uh, there's another Gaius that we find in Acts 20, the, the very next chapter of Acts. And he traveled with Paul on the last trip to Jerusalem. And you remember they were bringing offerings to Jerusalem. There were the, the saints there were uh, in terrible position financially. Uh, there had been a famine and uh, it, it had really hit the area of Jerusalem and the people that had been staying uh, around there um, were in dire need. And so they collected an offering, brought that there. Well, Gaius is one of those that presented that to a uh, church. Now, that's another Gaius. We don't know if that's the same Gaius here. There's also a Gaius of Corinth. There's another Gaius. And that's uh, the place where Paul actually stayed for a while when um, he was uh, ministering there. Um, that's found in Romans 16.23. So there are three spots there that we see Gaius's. You can say, well, maybe it's the same guy all the way through. We don't know that. Uh, and it doesn't really matter. To be honest with you, Gaius is a real common name. And uh, the Roman Empire, you would have all sorts of Gaius's around. <laughs> and it's just like in our English today, we have a common name uh, like John is pretty common, isn't it? Here we have the Apostle John, but we have at least one or two other people that we know are John's. Probably a lot more than that. It's a real common name. 
Uh, or you could take uh, other names. Bill. You know, how many Bills are there running around? Who knows? But there are a lot of them. But we don't know if that's the same Gaius then. So uh, one thing we do know is that we can learn a lot about this Gaius in just a few short verses. Just the first eight verses that we read here, we can see a lot about this uh, man. What's, um, what's so great about Gaius? Well, he's the beloved. To the beloved Gaius. John the Apostle says that he's beloved. John knows what beloved is because he called himself the beloved one of the Lord, right? He loved to use that beloved term. So a beloved believer uh, of uh, the church. And uh, John loves him. Uh, I think it speaks volumes. The church loves him. Um, Missionaries loved him. The whole community loved him. Uh, The whole body of Christ loves this Gaius. And we love him today, don't we? When we look at him, we've never seen the guy. We have no idea who he really is. And yet we love this man. How can you you even say that? Well, we're we're brothers of him. I mean, or sisters, right? And uh, so that's kind of neat to know. We'll meet this guy probably one of these days. And we'll say, oh, well, you're Gaius. Yeah, I read about you. It's all good. <laughs> um, best of all, he was loved by God. And that's where everything starts, doesn't it? Gaius is loved by God. If you are a Christian, you are loved by God. What a tremendous message, isn't it? Isn't that good news? He was elected. He was chosen. He was predestined. He was justified. He was adopted. He was loved by God. And so John recognizes that and he says to the beloved Gaius, man, I really appreciate you. Whom I love in truth. Whom I love in truth. He was a testimony. He was a walking witness, a walking testimony to what love and truth was. We hear about love and truth. We see it written on the pages. And then we look at this Gaius who we don't even know who he is. But he's an example of of this. His whole life was a witness to love and truth. uh, A walking witness. He fought against false teaching. He didn't want to allow it in. And uh, he saw that um, he had to take that on. And um, so it's not just found in speaking, is it? When, When we talk about truth and love or say we love others, we find it in our own lives. We, that's where we find that love. We fight for the truth. We fight to uh, show this. Gaius, I think, is a tremendous example here. Uh, witnesses of the truth. That's what we are. We believe. We believe truth. We say it. We speak it, right? And we also put it in our own conduct, in our walk, our manner, our lives. That's what we do. We don't just have it here, but we produce it. And that's what we see in Gaius. He actually practices this. So what are some ways that Gaius demonstrated his testimony of truth and love? And that's what we're going to basically get into. How does he show truth and love? A good example is found right here in uh, verse 2. Beloved... I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. It was a custom when somebody would write a letter back at that time in the Roman Empire 
that you would have some kind of a prayer at the top of the letter. And so John does that. I pray that you may prosper in all things. John does it, but he does it in a Christian way. This is a Christian prayer. Uh, and he wants Gaius's physical health to be as good as his spiritual health is. Now that's pretty good. A lot of times people have really good physical health, but their spiritual health is horrible. He says, I want your physical health to be as good as when you are spiritually. Um, prosper. That's a, that's a good word right there, isn't it? As your soul prospers, prosper. You adopt. You adopt. Well done. It's, it's um, a progress and journey. And really what it comes down to, this is a state of well-being. I want your physical health to be in well-being just as your soul is in well-being. That's a good prayer, isn't it? It's a really good prayer. Um, I hope you're feeling well, is what um, John could be saying here. Uh, it's a good sentiment. I think we should have that for all people. We should desire that everybody has good health. I think we do, right? We, you know, usually in prayer meetings, it seems that seems to be one of the most dominating requests. Although really... The spiritual sense is even more important, but we, we care about the physical health. We don't want to dismiss that. And definitely, John brings that uh, forth. He had a prospering soul already. His soul was prospering. It was moving right along. A successful spiritual life Gaius has. And John says that I want you to be healthy. And how often do we, do we pray for people? You know, and and uh, if... You know, they wind up having surgery or having to go to the hospital. You know, we hear about that and we pray about that. And if they're Christians, uh, we would uh, desire that they would uh, be able to recover and and to be uh, on par. But we also want to pray for the spiritual health always for people. We, uh, we look in Ephesians, for instance, and how Paul said those prayers that they would know the riches, the hope of the calling that they have, right? So we always want to have that balance, but um, John definitely is is doing that here. Uh, He does care about this house that we're in, this body, because it it actually houses our inner lives. Our soul is in here. This thing carries us around, and this is how we're able to serve God. So God does care about our physical health. And uh, you remember that Paul said uh, to Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach. Had some stomach problems there. Um, he does mention about bodily exercise. It does do some good for us. We don't want to spend all of our time on physically building our body and then not doing it spiritually. You know, this is an eternal thing, but yet it's good to have bodily exercise to keep this up. And then food and nutrition, those are all good things. That's a well balanced life. And uh, so that's, that's an idea of prospering. So it's good to pray for spiritual health. It's good to pray for physical health. Uh, We want to take that as uh, John brings that forth for Gaius here to keep that balance. Prospering all the way around in in every avenue. uh, Body, mind, soul. Everything. That's what we pray for for people. And we should be doing that for everybody that uh, is in our own fellowship and people that, uh, that we know. Uh, it's kind of interesting as we move into verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly. Did you catch that? Adverb there, right? The L-Y's. 
I rejoiced greatly. John is rejoicing greatly. This old man, this elder man is rejoicing greatly. Why would he do that? He's, he's old and, and uh, he, you know, why would he be happy? Why would he be rejoicing? Well, he has every right to because he said, um, brothers came and they testified the truth is in you. That's in Gaius. The truth that's in him. And that he not only knows the truth, but he's walking in it. Man, what a way to be uh, getting good news. He's rejoicing over this. Um, this is a good symptom of spiritual health. This is a really good thing, I mean, to see, because we're seeing it outwardly uh, whenever he's a witness for Christ. Somebody is a witness for Christ. They're testifying to truth. They're testifying to, as we'll see in a few verses later, love. He's actually doing this. He's living it. He not only knows the truth, but he lived it. And John is excited as he can be. And he's just, you know, he's busting out on this as he writes this letter. This is great. You know, there are, there are some people that you can really rejoice over because they're living this out. I think it's quite a commendation here that he gives to uh, John to actually tell him uh, about this. He possesses the truth and the truth possesses him. The truth is controlling him. The Word of God. The Spirit of God, right? So, there's an element in physical food, for instance, when we take in food to our mouth and then we swallow it and we eat it, you know, there's, there's a digesting of that. Alright, not to get too gross here. So we'll move on spiritually. You take in the Word of God and then you meditate on that. You think on that truth that you have just Swallow that you have just taken in, and you meditate. You think on it, and and you see that it comes from God. It's it's a personal letter from Him, as we read in here. And He really cares for us. He wants us to know Him, because that's eternal life. And so, as we look at that, we digest it. We need to digest spiritual things. That's what uh, Gaius did. Uh, so he not only knows spiritual truths but he's a walking example. And you know what John's doing? He's shouting for joy. And that's what we do. Whenever you've seen somebody come a long way from where they were at previously, a short amount of time, we'll say, a couple, three years, (laughs) maybe a few months, can you rejoice over that? Do you rejoice greatly? Because we should. Because we can say, I know what's happened there. God has come in and just done a work. As He works in us, we work it out, Philippians says. But we have to work it out. We have to take it in, and then through His power of the Spirit, we also can show that forth. There's the fruit of the Spirit that's, that's happening. I don't think there's any more joy on earth than to, first of all, see one be brought to Christ. Christ draws him. And not only that, not only that he becomes a believer, but what else? that he grows. And if he's a true Christian, he will. He will show forth that fruit. And you cannot have a greater joy than seeing somebody who was really predestined by God to be brought into the family and you get to experience a little bit of that. Isn't that that joy? John, I'm sure, saw that many times. And uh, he's doing it over this this one man, uh, Gaius. Uh, to see one hunger for truth. 
They're just starving for it. They want more and more of it. They're hungering it, and now they're showing it in their lives, and now their lives are changing because of the power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Gaius is a real thing. Man, he is true. He is real. Did you know he was a disciple? He was a disciple of Christ. John probably helped bring him to the Lord. And we we see that he calls him, verse 4, my children. And it could be that he's, a, he's an elder and their children, but it could be that he might have brought him to the Lord or discipled him or both. I don't want to read into the text, but I'm thinking that's a possibility. Discipleship of new believers is an important cog of the church. That, I think, is where the evangelical church of our day has dropped the ball. And we can be guilty of it. So when somebody is a new Christian... And we're excited about that, but we kind of forget about them and we don't follow up. We don't make them followers or learners of Christ. Discipleship is really key for a church. Uh, That means getting depth, getting the Word of God. That's really what uh, a good learner of the Lord is. Making sure that they understand these precious truths, starting with basic doctrines. Somebody sitting down with them, either in a formal setting, a classroom setting, or a non-formal setting. Somebody just coming alongside and giving a little bit here and a little bit there, line upon line, precept upon precept. But uh, whatever way that this church can make all of us grow, we want to do that because we want to rejoice greatly, right? So I'm just taking off of what probably happened in the early church. Would you consider that there was probably a good discipleship program going, and it may not have been called a program, it just might have been people just meeting together and feeding them truth. We can't get enough, by the way. I want to tell you, this is shocking, but I don't have it all together yet. Knew that? I knew that, did it, right? Oh, Dennis, I thought you knew everything. Yeah, right. Uh, we've just begun. We are on a journey. We're learning together. And the more that we learn together, the more that we can rejoice together because God is working. He is faithful. I will guarantee you, if you're really seeking Him, you really want to know Him, He will show up. And He will produce a new, ongoing, fresh life. Abundant. That's, That's a promise from Him. So, would you say that Gaius was spiritually healthy? I think so. That's what you love to see. You love to see healthy people in the church. We want a whole healthy church so whenever new people come around, they can just take it off of all of us in different gifts that we all have to offer. And guess what? They will grow quicker than you can even imagine if they see it from all sorts of different people. Different lives, different walks, different ways that God is working. You using your gift. It's amazing how it works. Just laying down good good doctrine. So not only was he spiritually healthy, evidently he might have had some kind of health problem. I don't want to press that. Uh, but John might have heard that maybe he's struggling a little bit physically. That's a good possibility. As you get a little bit older, you'll notice that that happens all the time anyway. <laughs> so whether somebody's in good health or not, you say, ah, that you know, they've got the possibility here of us, you know, things are receding. So I'm going to pray for his health. But he might have been physically having ailments. And so John would have this desire that, man, I just wish your physical health was as good as your spiritual health. Worth a thought. Anyway, let's move on to verse 5 and 6. Is that where we're at so far? 
I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Okay, so he's possibly something, somebody that's very, very close to John and being disciple and such. Verse five, beloved, you do not, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. That's what he's done. Who have borne witness of your love before the church? If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. So he testifies of the truth and the love, and we see that he's very hospitable, openly hospitable. We already saw Second John that there were many itinerant teachers going all around. Spoken of that very much. Early church. They go from church to church using their gifts, preaching the Word of God. And you remember, they didn't have uh, completed Bibles in the first century like what we do. Even though by the time you get to John and everything is written, everything was there. A lot of it had been passed around. But they didn't have Bibles to turn to and open up and study throughout the week. Um, they would have to rely upon a lot of teaching. And uh, there were other teachers coming in being able to bring forth what the apostles had laid down. Everything comes to the apostles. They get um, revelation from God. And then they in turn um, are able to lay that down. Other ones get that. And then they teach it. And they go forth and teach certain things probably to another church and then to another church. That's, that's what's happening at this time. So they need a place to stay, right? We mentioned this last week. Some of this sounds like this, this is repeated last week. Just to remind you, they need a place to stay. Oh, you just go to the local inn and stay there for the night, right? Or the next couple of nights, however long you're going to be there. Well, that's not a good thing. First of all, it's going to cost money. Pretty expensive to do that in, in your travels. But another thing is that those inns were not the best of places to be staying at. Uh, very seedy. Um, many of them were just full of debauchery. And some of them were known as brothels. And so that's not a very good place for your uh, traveling missionary to come in and stay. It would only make sense that somebody in the church would take them in and meet their needs. So that's what they did. And, and so they'd, they'd take them in and they'd feed them and uh, they would... Uh, take care of their clothes, whatever, uh, give them some money, they would move on. What about the New Testament? What does the New Testament say about hospitality? Gaius is uh, not only hospitable to the brethren, you'll you'll see this in verse 5, but also for strangers. Beloved. He calls him that beloved. He said it in verse 2, didn't he? Uh, Here we see it in verse 5. Beloved. Gaius. You do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren. Whatever you're doing, you're doing it faithfully. So, it's one thing to do it for the brethren, for people that you know, but even extends it out to strangers, people you don't even know. And that's quite remarkable. Remember, the times that they lived in weren't really any different than the times that we live in. And there was a matter of sin at that time as there is in this time. And one could say, yeah, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot harder today. People are, are really depraved. They always have been, haven't they? Uh, it, it's an important ministry. Gaius saw that as a ministry that he could do. He did it. And boy, did he do it well. Because the Apostle John said he did. And so, uh, as far as God is concerned, 
It's an important ministry. It's a key ministry. Very important. Um, Let's look at the New Testament just a little bit. Some of these are passages that we looked at last week, but it's good to remind us. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. And these are qualifications for overseers, bishops, pastors, elders. Uh, One of the qualifications for a bishop, for instance, in verse 2 it says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable. And then goes on, he says other things, but there's the key word for the day. Hospitable. That's what an elder is. If he is not that, then he might as well scratch himself off the list. God is not calling him. The thing is, everybody is to be hospitable as we move on, but let's let's look at Titus, another pastoral letter. And then... Uh, Chapter 1, verse 8. Paul writes to this pastor. And it's again about bishops and the requirements of them. And right in the very first two words, but hospitable. That's what he is to be. A lover is what a good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-control. Hospitable. So that occurs in two uh, letters that were pastoral that were requirements for somebody that thinks that they're called to be a pastor. They need to look at this. These are great letters to read if one is considering uh, thinking that maybe the Lord is calling them to be elder. Um, It's good to really study. Now we go to Romans 12, and Paul at the portion of his letter that is dealing with putting doctrine into practice. 12.13 Distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. You're you're given to it. That's what you're doing. This is to all Christians. And he's telling them here is what uh, it is to be affectionate to one another. Here's what it is to love one another. uh, Brotherly love and such. And he starts in verse 9 and goes through all these and verse 14 gets incredibly hard to understand from the flesh. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now that's an odd statement. Bless those who persecute you. Give them a blessing? They need a cussing out. No, 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 no. Christians, here's what you have been equipped with. Uh, Jesus said this too, didn't he? Love your enemies. Wow. By the way, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Christian life is quite a call, isn't it? But with His power, His Spirit in us, we can do those things. Hospitable might be a thing that you might be into and it may be one of those things that you're not into or just not for sure. But we have commands here that this is the mark of a Christian. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. This is about serving God. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So I'll do it. But I don't want to. Without grumbling. And that's everything, isn't it? Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Above all things, because it covers a multitude of sins. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1. 
This will be the last one we'll go here. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Don't forget to entertain them. Don't forget to be hospitable to people when you get the opportunity. You know, what I find interesting is what Jesus said about it in Matthew 25. You remember, Matthew 25 um, brings out the judgment of the sheep and the goats right at the end of Matthew 25. Starting at verse 31. But the time you get to verse 40, and the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. That's incredible. When we're hospitable to other people, guess what? We are hospitable to Jesus Christ Himself. We're actually ministering to the Lord Himself. That's what we're called. We're called ministers or what? Servants. In the general sense. We're all servants. Nothing new here, is it? Um, Many can testify through... uh, This is from William McDonald. Many can testify that through the practice of hospitality, meals have been turned into sacraments. Lord's Supper. Children have been converted and families have been drawn closer to the Lord. Just bringing somebody into your home, all of a sudden it turns into a spiritual, holy moments. Children are converted by it because they have seen godly men come in and um, they have been able to learn from these men some, uh, some things of the Lord. I don't know if you're familiar with W.A. Criswell, but he was... Uh, the pastor for a long time down in Dallas. That's First Baptist Church there. Many, many years. But um, when he was like 10 years old, of course his father had taught him well, his mother, and uh, but they had invited uh, a traveling, probably a revival preacher in at the time. That's back in the days when they had uh, revivals. They called them revivals. But I, I would rather probably use different terms for that, but maybe renewals maybe, but um, at any rate, they would go for two weeks and have them every night. And today, people have so many things to do when they have these meetings, whatever you want to call them, but uh, it's, they're doing good now to do four days and to have anybody show up by the fourth day. Uh, we're, we're dropping things. It's kind of interesting, you know. Used to that used to be a priority. I remember going to those things, and they'd be packed every night. I'm not so sure what the results uh, were on that, but I can say that I, I remember it as a kid and, and going to those. Sometimes I feel like falling asleep. <laughs> Might go a little long at night. Got school the next morning. But um, anyway, W. A. Criswell said whenever he was 10 and this one man that was invited in to stay at their house there for those uh, extended days, uh, he learned from that man. And uh, as a result of it, he became a Christian. Even though he had had a good background, this man came in and led him to the Lord. And so um, there's probably many of those kind of things that have happened. But just by bringing somebody in, look at the eternal reward out of that. God used that. Hospitality isn't just putting down a meal for somebody. Uh, it isn't just inviting someone you know, back for uh, supper uh, to your house. 
that's actually opening your heart to them. So often, we would rather stay closed. This is what you can learn about me here, but I'm closing the door on everything else. And sometimes people need to know who you are. If we're brothers and sisters and we're really related, we need to know... um, some of those things. Now, there are other things that people don't have any business of. That's your past life. You move on. You don't dwell. Don't dwell on the past. That's that's not our life now. It's not going to do any good. Where we're at now is what counts. But you can say, "Here's how the Lord did me." You know, you can bring out testimonies to people. It's always interesting to hear, and because uh, it's it's God's work. Uh, but it, it's opening your whole heart, your whole life to them as they open up, and uh, that's. That's how we do it. It's just gatherings with, with people. It's the uh, someone said this. Hospitality is the art of making people feel at home when you wish they were at home. <laughs> we laugh, but you want to make them feel at home with you. Sometimes it takes time, and it's not natural. I'll tell you. you say, well, you know, those people, they have that talent, they have that gift of being with people, but I don't. That's just the way I am, and I'm inward, and I'm. Um, that's just the way I am. Uh, I'm, I'm closed. Uh, I'll, I'll go to church, but uh, I just, I just can't be with people. Well, shame on you. That's a sin. <laughs> How can you say that's a sin? Well, <laughs> I'm just looking at scripture here, and it's, it's talking about loving one another. And it's not just talking about doing it in a in a in a way that covers up yourself and everything else. It's just being open to people, and we want to practice that. So our question is: Do we practice this hospitality in our own lives today? This is a faith that works. It doesn't. We're just learning these things and say, "Boy, I tell you what, Dennis, I'm not so sure, but uh, I'm not kind of convicted by that." Huh. Well. God's Word can do that. We're all working on it. I want to tell you, most people don't feel like they are really outward going either. To be honest with you, there aren't very many people that's going to come up to somebody else and start telling you everything and open it up. Sometimes that may not be the best. You you take time. But believe me, most people are not outward going people. So it's going to take somebody to go to somebody. And if they're both that way and they don't have that, you'll never know them. They'll never know you. And ten years from now, you can say, well, what is their last name? <laughs> Been going to church for years and you can say, what was their name? I, I never knew. Okay. <laughs> James chapter 2. This is showing that faith works. What does it profit? Verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Now, can faith save him? Well, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed, be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And... James compliments Paul. There's no problem with this. People will use James to say, see, it is works that saves you. I'm not kidding you. That's a works-based salvation. James' emphasis here is saying, if you have faith, because of that faith, you will have works. Faith does work. 
It will have fruit. It will show that. It will do it outwardly. And that's what James is doing. So James and Paul are not contrasted or going against each other. They complement each other. And the Word of God is amazing. It, of course, does that. In 1 John 3.16, way back in the days when we studied 1 John, by this we know love because He laid down His life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. Let us love in truth. Oh, that sounds like John. That is John. Love, truth. Boy, they ever go on. Hand in hand. He opened up his home. Gaius did. Gaius opened up his heart. Did he have faith and works? Yes, he did. It was there. Assist them well on the journey, he says here. Back to our third John. Who have borne witness, verse 6, of your love before the church. Everybody sees that witness. Everybody sees that testimony. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Uh, he was doing that. But, you know, if, if you send them as you send them away, assist them well on the journey. Even while they have stayed with you, you've done that, but make sure that you assist them as they get ready to move on. Give them whatever they need, if possible. It could have been money, could have been food, maybe a washing of the clothes. They didn't have too many sets of clothes back then, too. Uh, doing pretty good to have two sets of clothes, if you could. Um, whatever it is that you can, as they move on, you know, get them equipped as they move to the next church. So this implies receiving them, caring for them, meeting their needs while they're there, and then send them on their way to accomplish whatever missionary work that they have. Send them on their way to their missionary journey uh, equipped. And I believe this is where missionary work comes from. This is a great verse for missionary work, uh, discipleship, anything dealing with carrying on the gospel, evangelism, discipleship, mission work. Uh, it's, it starts with truth. And it's all done in, in love. Uh, it's a, a real part of the early church. We see that. Traveling preachers are doing this. Proclaiming the gospel, going everywhere, planting churches, strengthening the churches, edifying them, and uh, they're going to need money. They're going to need uh, clothing. They're going to need supplies. They're going to need food as they do this. And so he says, uh, "Keep doing that. What you're doing there, Gaius, is is really good. Um, send them on their way in a manner that's worthy of God." Wow, John, that's a high standard, isn't it? Worthy of God. Yeah, do it in a way that befits God. Uh, treat them the way that God would treat them. Treat them the way that God treats you. Woo. Matthew 10.40 Matthew 10.40 He who receives you Check this out. Receives you me. 
He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. Wow. What's being said here? He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. And then go down to verse 41. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. If you do this, he says, you're receiving me. And not only that, guess what? You're going to share in the eternal rewards that they're going to have because you supported them. That's an amazing thing. You'll get a reward for that. Maybe not here. But in God's timing, He will do that. You'll share in that reward. That's remarkable. You say, well, I didn't go out and do what they did. Yeah, but you're going to share in what they did if you do this. Now, Third John, verse 7 and 8. And we get the reasons for hospitality. Well, why would I want to do this? Why? Why would I want to do this? This takes time. takes effort. might take some money. Because they went forth for His name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. First of all, it's for the sake of the name. For the sake of... What's the name? The name is the Lord. The name of the Lord. We're to go out for the glory and the honor of, of God. And that's the preeminent motive for all of this, isn't it? What is the chief end of man? Glorify God. Because of that, you will enjoy Him. That's a, uh, I think that is the top motive of all things. And of course, in this right here, it's for the sake of the name, for His glory. Why do we evangelize? For the sake of the name. Why do we discipleship? For the sake of the name. This is a good reason to be hospitable, isn't it? Too easy, but that's that's true. Go to Romans one, chapter chapter one, verse five. Through him we have received grace. I like that. And apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name among whom you also are the call of Jesus Christ. Among all the nations. Everywhere as it goes out. That's it. Acts chapter 5 verse 40. For the sake of the name. And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. So what's this have to do with it? Well, they were speaking the name of Jesus. They were talking about Jesus Christ. They were talking about the good news. They were talking about how Christ can save people from their sins. They were using the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus. That got them arrested. Hey, listen, we'll let you go, but don't you ever speak in the name of Jesus again. They knew what it did. Man, it turned the world upside down, didn't it? Uh, listen, it's cool. You guys go now. Get out of here. Don't you ever do that. Do you think they listened to that? No way. What would happen if the apostles would have just stopped and said, okay, that's it. I'm not going to jail anymore. 
Well, God would have used some other different people. <laughs> He's going to get up the gospel anyway. But they continued to preach the gospel. That is one place and one time where we can disobey the government whenever we are told to quit preaching the gospel. We just keep on doing it. Amen. And if we have to wind up preaching the gospel in jail, well, so be it. John Bunyan's. <laughs> Anyway, um, that's the idea. The sake of the name, that's what it's about. Another thing, it's, it's our responsibility that um, we would support missionaries, for instance, or support teachers, preachers of the Gospel, uh, because they went forth for His name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Um, it's a Christian's responsibility. It's, it's not the government, it's not the unbelievers out there that is going to be taking care of our missionary work. Have you ever heard of the government getting together and and putting forth money to missionaries? They're not going to do that. And we shouldn't expect them to. Uh, Big corporations are not going to give money to missionaries unless it's a Christian corporation or something like that. But the secular world is not going to help us there. They shouldn't expect it. Never, uh, they never have. So who's going to do it? Well, it's just the Christians. Just the Christians. They, um, they said here they accepted nothing. They took nothing from the Gentiles. And sometimes it bothers me whenever churches are needing money and they start having... And you have to be really careful with what how you do it and what, what you're doing. And I can't just make a blanket statement, but... Sometimes churches try to raise money and they'll go out and do all sorts of, whether it be baked goods sales and stuff, and in the name of the church, uh, have, uh, you know, trying to draw people just, just to get their money. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different things where I've, I've heard of where churches have done things like that, expecting to get money from the outside world. I'm not so sure that that's the way to go about it, at least I don't think it's the best biblical way. Sometimes there's, a, there's some wisdom that can be done. I, I understand that. But um, God's people are really the ones who are going to finance the work of the Gospel. God's people alone. Uh, they're not going to get it from the pagans. And so, you know, people supported God's work back then. They still do it today. It's a testimony to the lost people, though, when, when that happens. Uh, Gaius may not have had a, a real gift that showed outwardly in, in public ministry. Probably, probably wasn't a teacher or preacher or what have you. Probably didn't go out like the missionaries did. But you know what? He was a fellow worker in the truth. He defended the truth. He actually contended for the faith, the truth. He was a very liberal generosity type of an individual. He just gave. He extended God's truth to the world, but maybe he didn't go out there like they did. And that moves us right on into this eighth verse here. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Not all of us can go. Matter of fact, most of us can't. But we can all help support with, first of all, prayers, and then our money. And when we support them, guess what? We are now fellow workers with them. We're just as important in God's work in that as they are. We're fellow workers. And you remember Matthew 10.41. If you do that 
for like a prophet, you'll get the reward that a prophet had. Somebody that's sent out, you'll get that reward. Just like them. Galatians 6, 6 through 10. Very last chapter of Galatians. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Share. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do that. Fellow workers. There was a man by the name of William Carey. Anybody heard of William Carey? That great missionary um, to India. And he called people who supported him and other missionaries the rope holders. They were called the rope holders. Do we know why they were called the rope holders? Well, it's an image that he used that's very effective. As they were holding the rope he was venturing down into what he described as the gold mine of gathering jewels for Jesus' crown. That's the way that he put that in a, in a picture. We're holding the rope for those guys who are out there truly giving the gospel. We're supporting them. So it takes us to do, let them to be able to do their work. They need our support. And so this is what it means for somebody like Gaius who lived in the truth. He walked in the truth, right? He knew the truth. He lived in it. Gaius lived his life in the truth. And so we see that love. He exhibited what genuine love is. He practiced true hospitality even to strangers. He practiced it to those who believed in the truth. And that is what... uh, we see here. So what are the reasons for hospitality? Well, for the sake of the name, for His glory. Because it's our responsibility. And because we are fellow workers. And uh, if this um, helps realize there's a reward for it, just as they get rewards, you're part of the whole scheme that God has done. Let's pray. Father, You are a great God. You are the God of hospitality because You are the one who has extended grace, mercy, love to individuals who absolutely have not deserved it. And you just taken us in. Not only took us in, but we are adopted. We are now part of your family, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And uh, you put us into service right here on this earth as uh, we know it right now, and we want to give uh, Your truth out to people who need it. And of course we all do, but there are people who are lost. Help us take that out. Uh, And thank You, Lord, for uh, giving us opportunities to give to others that extend out there in uh, all across the world. Thank You that uh, we, we get to do that. Uh, We don't even know uh, most of those people who it even gets to. But you do, and uh, you're using that to call people to your family. And one day we'll get to know these people and know them for eternity as we know you. Thank you for this time, a time of uh, great worship as we continue on with uh, our uh, worship of you.
We pray that it continues to honor you. Amen.